Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we're into extra time. Hi, and welcome back. I'm Barry Guy. Team New Zealand starts to outline the protocols for the next America's Cup with time and place and a few other details released. The New Zealand Women's Golf Open is our number one tournament, uh, or is it? Local rugby fans finally get a chance to celebrate the Black Ferns World Cup success. Where to now for New Zealand heavyweight boxer Joseph Parker? And Shane Bond joins the England Ashes squad. Team New Zealand has confirmed that it plans to defend the America's Cup in Auckland in March 2021 using 75-foot monohulls. The announcement comes after negotiations with the Italian challenger of record, Luna Rossa, on agreed preliminary protocols surrounding the 36th America's Cup. Full details on the boats and where the foils will be used will be revealed late in November. Joining me now is our America's Cup correspondent, Todd Nile. And Todd, after winning the Cup in June, Team New Zealand boss Grant Dalton said he wanted to make the next regatta more accessible for more teams. So has he achieved that? Well, they're hoping so. There's still not a clear indication of how many challenges might turn up. They're talking, you know, they'd like to see 10 maybe, which is getting back to the sort of 2000, 2003 level. Talking to Max Serena from Luna Rossa, he was saying personally, you know, he would be happy if six to eight challenges turned up. So a bit of a variation. Obviously, New Zealand wanting the economic benefit wants as many as possible. But in in order to to make the event as accessible uh, and as attractive as possible to potential challenges. That's one of the reasons why they've gone back to a sort of a racy version of the monohull because that's, they believe, a technology that more countries, more teams are interested in getting involved with rather than that expensive and, and complicated and rapidly advancing catamaran stuff. Yeah, it is, you know, some of that catamaran stuff was, was quite exciting, but, you know, Auckland and, uh, as you say, more teams and that sort of thing. Economics is going to come into it if the America's Cup is going to survive, I suppose. Yeah, cost containment was a phrase that Grant Dalton used an awful lot. And, you know, the importance of trying to keep the cost down. But, you know, in the same breath, he was saying, but actually there's not much you can do because most of your costs... You know, no matter what you decide around the boat, most of a team's costs, 60% or more, is simply in the personnel that they employ, the designers and sailors and, and what have you. So there are going to be efforts to keep the boat costs down. There are going to be some parts of the boat that will be one design. They didn't say which parts yet. Uh, and there'll be certain restrictions on the boat itself. But as Grant Dalton said, no matter what they try on the cost containment front, a team will spend what it's prepared to spend. Uh, He also points out, and they've never given us the numbers, that they believe that whenever Team New Zealand has won the Cup, they've perhaps had the smallest budget of any of the teams. So money itself doesn't talk as much as what you do with it. So we're going to see a 
a regular boat yacht, perhaps that most of us have seen seen before. So a few of those details about designs, etc., came out um, today. What's the process now? When perhaps when might we see one of these uh, mono hulls um, scooting around Auckland somewhere? Well, it is quite interesting because they have given a few more details, but there's still a lot that we don't know about the boat. For example, will it have the you know the big fixed wing that the catamarans had, or will it have you know sails that flap in the wind? Uh, they're still not quite sure what's going to work best there. There had been Italian reports uh, in the media that the cyclores that Team New Zealand had used wouldn't be part of the thing. Grant Dalton says no, misreporting uh, that you know if teams want to have cyclores instead of grinders, they may. So there's still going to be a lot of uh, technologies in the boat. And and I guess the interesting thing talking to their lead designer Dan Bernasconi. You have to bear in mind that this is probably the first time in Cup history that an an entirely new boat has been developed for the contest. Even the catamarans evolve out of the old Alinghi, Oracle, Catamaran, Trimaran duel in Valencia. Before that, the monohulls had evolved over a century or more. So they're going back to a type of monohull that really isn't that common and will have features presumably foiling which is also brand new and you know talking to Dan Bernasconi as a designer he says that's actually that's a wee bit nerve-wracking because they're going to have to complete the rules around the design they're going to put it out you know maybe 12 teams will 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 develop one of these boats and pop them in the water and yet apart from computer modeling no one will know whether you know some of these possibly radical features will actually work the way they hope they will but uh, you know that again Part of the fascination of the America's Cup is the technology that's in it and, and how it plays out on the water. At uh, the turn of the century, uh, the Auckland waterfront uh, got spruced up when the America's Cup was there. Is uh, What will need to happen perhaps for Auckland this time? That's still being worked on, and one of the interesting features of the announcement was, I think for the first time ever in an America's Cup, the defender has announced where the backup venue will be should anything happen to prevent it being in their chosen port of of Auckland. And Grant Dalton's explanation for this was simply to give certainty to challenges that no matter what, there will be an America's Cup, even if it had to be held in a backup port in Italy. Uh, So this was all talked about as as a certainty thing. Um, But I asked him whether that was a shot across the bows of the government and Auckland, the group of Auckland Council agencies, which are having to, you know, find and design a, a base and accommodation for the teams, in a way that Team New Zealand wants. They want to have a downtown amphitheatre, you know, a, a, a sort of true, almost stadium effect, which is kind of what was there back in two thousand, but perhaps an evolution of that. And that work, it's still not clear where that will be. However, representatives from both the government and from the Auckland Council family, if you like, were at today's, at the announcement, and and assured that they did know the deadlines that had to be met. Basically, they kind of need to be doing bricks and mortar work by August next year in order to have the thing available for some of the teams the following summer. They know the deadlines. They are talking amongst themselves. They hope to have papers for sign-off to the council and cabinet in about a month's time. So, yeah, a bit of a nudge from Team New Zealand, but then the hosts, if you like, in terms of the council and the government saying, yes, we're aware of that, we're onto it, and they don't see a problem in meeting those deadlines. That's America's Cup reporter Todd Nile, And this is Extra Time.
This week's New Zealand Women's Golf Open was unique in many ways. The tournament has only been running since 2009, but for the first time it became an LPGA-sanctioned event, and that was probably due to one woman, Lydia Ko. She was world number one when this tournament was confirmed. Also, this week's tournament at Windrose Farm near Auckland is worth $1.8 million, more than the purse for the men's tournament. But as Matt Chatterton reports, the sport still has a long road ahead before the gulf between the men's and women's game is bridged. Inequality in sport has been a talking point here and abroad in 2017. Auckland University professor Tony Bruce researched sport coverage in the media in the past 30 years and found only 1 in 10 sports stories focused on women. Chair of Women in Sport Aotearoa, the Tennis New Zealand Chief Executive Julie Patterson, says those numbers come as no surprise as sport is a reflection of society. She says media organisations have to take some responsibility, arguing their decisions on sports coverage have consequences. Look at Lisa Carrington and you talk to Canoe Racing New Zealand and they'll say that they've had a massive increase of girls wanting to participate in their sport. Um, And that's because Lisa Carrington is a very visible, well-covered, well-profiled person in sport. When it comes to prize money in golf, women on the LPGA Tour, their biggest global golf tour, receive only about 15% of what's paid to men on the PGA Tour. But that's not the case in New Zealand. Because the New Zealand Women's Open is now an LPGA Tour sanctioned event, the tournament must have a prize purse of at least $1.8 million. The National Men's Open, played in March, has a prize purse of just over a million dollars. Christina Kim, a three-time winner on the LPGA Tour and one of the headliners at this week's tournament, says while it's pleasing to hear more money is being invested in women's golf, there's still more work to be done. I think there's definitely been some improvement if you look at the sheer numbers. Um, you know, the, the women are, they have definitely closed in a little bit on the wage gap. However, closing in is not the same as having it done where it's correct. The LPGA Tour Commissioner Mike Wan is in the middle of trying to organise a tournament where PGA and LPGA Tour professionals play together, something not currently done in top flight golf. The tournament director for the New Zealand Women's Open, Michael Goldstein, also helps run the Men's Open in Queenstown. He says if a joint tournament's to happen, it'll probably be in Australia or America rather than here. I don't see us collectively making that jump to doing something so, so unique and innovative in New Zealand. And like I think we think like that, being Kiwis, but sometimes you've just got to be you know, real as well. Mr Goldstein says in the meantime his focus is on continuing to improve the Women's Open and he hopes to have more of the world's best women out here next year to compete. Matt Chatterton with that report. The Black Ferns have finally received the hometown celebration they deserved as World Cup winners. Hundreds of mostly women and girls turned up to reception in Manukau and they were rewarded for their efforts by being able to hold aloft the cup that the New Zealanders won a month ago when they beat England in the final. The team called the cup Nancy. Roan Quinn went along to the reception. The moment their heroes arrive, the Black Ferns run through a guard of honour of primary school kids and talented secondary school players. Among them was the hooker Te Kura Ngata Airingamati. I felt like a, a pop star coming into the stadium and everyone shouting at us. It was so awesome. 
The welcome home's been a long time coming. Most of these women aren't professionals and came back from their trip to get stuck back into their other lives. But today was the chance to feel the love, something the captain, Fia Oofa'amausili, appreciated. Well, I'm still quite overwhelmed. This is amazing. Um, look at everyone here today to come and support our team. It's just it's something that we love to do. We love to sing, we love to dance, and we just love to smile. She says it's been great to bring, quote, this bad girl home, referring to the cup they call Nancy, after the New Zealand-born World War II spy Nancy Wake. She was determined, she, she loved what she did, she proved everybody wrong, and um, female with a lot of power, and had a lot of odds against her, but turned them into positives. The humour and warmth in the team was evident as they spoke on stage, often teasing each other, and they revealed they had a team within a team, the Band Ferns, the pick of the squad's singers. They sung a cheeky song, penned to tease Fa'amal Sili for sometimes muddling her words. Why is that? Why are you talking like that? Teach us a bit of that, that. On the on the Team funny girl Victoria Sabritsky Natafali says humour is a big part of team culture. It's like that all the time. We probably have our, we have our ups and downs like sisters do, you know. We can't all be happy families, but we love it. We suck it up and we just keep going. Then the ferns were treated to a performance themselves, honoured with a haka from Auckland Girls Grammar. <laughs> And it was schoolgirls and young women who were the biggest fans, like Emiletta Oloa. So we're from Southern Cross Campus, and uh, we're the Auckland Chaps for Girls First Fifteens um, Union in Auckland. Um, yeah, we just we're just inspired by the girls, and it's just yeah, it's an honour to actually like be in the same room as them, like the same stadium, which is pretty cool. And these boys, Fap, Philly and Lester, showed it wasn't just girls who looked up to them. I like how they work together. And and I like the how they're communicating and talking. And if something goes wrong, they, they don't moan about it. They, they, they say, keep your head up and carry on. A far cry from the heavily managed all-black events, today Black Ferns fans could easily get up close and personal with their idols and even hold the World Cup. A long line snaked around for autographs, with the youngest player in the team, Aotearoa Mata'u, enjoying talking to fans. The atmosphere has been um, extraordinary, it's been fun, and this is all kind of new to us, like signing and stuff like that, so it's real exciting. Fia Oofa Amalsili says she'd love to see women's rugby build on all the interest and is urging the rugby union to schedule more games each year. The policewoman, who's won four World Cups and played more than 50 tests, is retiring on a high note to concentrate on her work. But she says if she gets itchy feet next year, the boots might come back on. Rowan Quinn with that report, and you're listening to Extra Time. Boxer Joseph Parker successfully defended his WBO heavyweight belt for a second time with a majority points decision victory over England's Huey Fury in Manchester earlier this week. Parker's camp says the victory sets the Auckland fighter up for a lucrative fight next year with one of the world's leading heavyweights, such as Britain's Anthony Joshua or American Deontay Wilder. Parker's performance prompted ringside questions about his punching power and his ability to foot it in the ring with the world's best. But as trainer Kevin Barry says, the critics are not giving Huey Fury the credit he deserves. Huey Fury was an opponent that, if it wasn't a mandatory 
uh, challenge. There is no way we would ever fight a guy like this. There is only one Huey Fury in the world, and he is very, very awkward. And that's why he's undefeated, and that's why he's uh, dodged by a lot of other fighters. So it was it was a very difficult fight for us to look good in. Um, you know, coming uh, our, our first fight here in the UK, in the UK, halfway around the world. Have you done enough though to establish Joseph in that market? Well, I tell, you know, we beat an un- another undefeated fighter um, in his backyard. Um, so I think, um, and we beat him fairly convincingly on two of the judges' cards. So I think, uh, you know, we made a very good statement. And, you know, like there are a lot of the, a lot of the top fighters here in the UK thought the Huey without box Joe. Um, Huey was very, very good at surviving, uh, very good at holding and tying Joe up. And there was three times in the fight where I actually thought Joe was close to knocking him out, and, and Huey was able to survive. So, so I think you know, I think we will get the respect for that performance. And where to from for Joe now? Well, you know, we've we've made it um, um, well known that we want to campaign here in the UK. The UK is a hotbed of boxing at the moment. There is uh, some very big lucrative fights here for us and, uh, you know, I think our, our our plan for our team will be to stay here in the UK and, and take off all their fighters. And what's the chance of Joe uh, coming up against Joshua? Well, you know, we looked like we were going to fight him 18 months ago before either guy was wearing a world title belt. And obviously, Anthony Joshua has become, in that time, he's become a superstar. And uh, he is the golden goose of heavyweight boxing at the moment and a guy who we would love to get in the ring with. And, you know, styles make fights. And I think Joshua's style coming forward um, is a lot more suited to Joe than somebody like Huey Fury, who's, who's moving uh, continuously. Has Joe shown he's got the power to match it with those guys in that league, though? Well, we'll soon find out. But one thing I can tell you is Joseph Parker is the undefeated WBO heavyweight champion of the world. There's only three guys in the world wearing heavyweight title belts, and we are one of them. Given Barry talking to Rory Newsom. The former Black Caps bowler Shane Bond was this week confirmed as fast bowling coach for the England cricket squad on their Ashes tour of Australia this summer. Bond has been helping a number of teams in recent years and will be a part of the England setup for the first two tests before Christmas, before he heads to Brisbane to help the Heat in the Big Bash. Bond told me he was a little surprised by the approach from England. You know, they contacted me. I think it's one of those those series, you know, the, probably the pinnacle series in cricket that you. I didn't certainly expect to have a, a part in. Um, so to get the get the call and be asked to be part of the the England setup in a series um, that's as massive as that was 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 really cool. And you know, I really can't wait to get into it. Uh, obviously, you know what you've been doing in various uh, forms and states around the uh, world um, enhance your reputation. What what do you sort of think that you can uh, bring to the English side? Oh, like any, probably a fresh set of eyes to start with. I know um, Otis Gibson was their coach for a long time, and he's done a terrific job. So it's always good to bring a fresh set of eyes to, to bowlers to see in a different way of doing things. I'm sure the way I do things will be slightly different. Um, as you say, and I've got experience of of um, coaching in Australia as well, so I know the sort of the Australian psyche and the way they go about their work and the grounds, etc. So I know there's a lot of experience in the English. Um, set up as well, so 
it's a pretty formidable team, the England team, and it's, you know they're going to play a pretty tough opposition in their own country. So the whole series, um, particularly with the media hype and the fans travelling uh, all around it, it's going to be pretty special. Uh, obviously, you've been uh, keeping an eye on the English pace bowlers from a distance. Is there anything that um, you know is obvious that that stands out to you, or you know, you, just a little tinkering? Oh, look, I think I think you know I'm getting to work with two great fast bowlers, and uh, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad, and then there's some Chris Wokes I, I know, um, and then there's some uh, younger fellas are uh, built in and around that squad, so it's a it's a varied squad in terms of experience and um, in success, but they've got you know they've got quality players, and I'm, I'm in a setup that certainly doesn't lack results. And um, you know I, I think it's just adding my own way of doing things around it to make improvements. At the end of the day, your job as a coach is to try and make improvements on all the players, and also give them a, a game plan. Um, and a strategy that you think is going to work against Australia, and I think that'll be a big part of the role. Shane Bond. And that's extra time for this week. Follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.